you would take your Bible and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to finish up that portion of Scripture that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 15, following on from, from Easter, thinking about the impact of the resurrection in our lives. If you're a guest of ours, my name is Owen, I'm one of the pastors here. Jim earlier mentioned that guest card that's in the seat back in front of you. At the end of the service, the way we do things here this morning after I finish preaching, at the end of the service, we will stand and we'll sing a final psalm together. During that final psalm, the offering plates will go around. And when those offering plates come around, if you have that guest card, and there's a way we could pray for you or minister to your family, if you could fill that out, you can just put that in the offering plate at the end of the service when we sing that, that final psalm together. Also, when the service is finished, I stay down here at the front and so if you need someone to pray with you about something happening in your family, if you just need someone to speak to you about the things uh, of the Lord, we have people that want to be able to do that. So when that final song is finished, we're down here at the front. We'd love to be able to, to pray for you. Uh, during this time, though, we're going to begin thinking about, okay, I saw that deacon ordination happen. I'm not 100% sure even who a deacon is or what they do. We're going to try to bring that all back together. Kids. Okay, now don't necessarily do at home everything that you see on these particular videos, but how many of you kids have seen the Dude Perfect videos? Or adult kids, you guys that watch Dude Perfect videos and know about those. You can get injured, uh, as, as we found out, if you try to do everything you see in the Dude Perfect videos. But, but at our house, we love the Dude Perfect videos. Uh, they're clean, they're fun. These guys are Sunday school teachers themselves, and they just they put on these crazy trick shot videos and different things they do. But they also do these stereotype videos. Um, so they'll take something like old man pick up basketball, uh, and they'll take all the stereotypical people you run into playing pick up basketball, and they'll just portray them in these videos. Or, or fishing. You've been with a person who makes every excuse why they don't catch a fish, and these guys make fun of all these different stereotypes. As I was thinking about that and watching some of those uh, Dude Perfect stereotype videos this week, I thought, we need like a deacon stereotype video. We need to get the Dude Perfect guys to make us a stereotype video based around deacon ministry. Or, better yet, Dude Perfect just becomes the code name for our deacon ministry, uh, Adamaeus has to be the greatest men's ministry or deacon ministry codename of all time would be, would be Dude Perfect. But you have all these stereotypes. You think about deacon stereotypes, maybe if you grew up in a church and there were deacons there, you have the church curmudgeon, uh, the person who's just kind of grumpy all the time. Uh, you have the rejected politician who wanted to get into deacon ministry because they like to make decisions for, for everybody else. Uh, you have the person who's the moral police their role in the deacon ministry is to make sure that everybody else uh, behaves. You have the servant on steroids who nobody else in the whole church can do anything because they've already got there and done it first before. All these stereotypes that get built up and we realize, oh yeah, that's not really what it should look like. What does it look like when we're a part of the church and people are serving? If you're here and you're not a Christian and you think, oh my word, this has nothing to do with my life. What, what's going on here? If you're here and you're not a Christian, but you're curious about the things of the Lord, what you're going to see this morning, what you're going to hear about, 
is how when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about Christianity, it's not just something we speak about. It's not just something that we believe in our head or our heart. It affects the way we live our lives. And so if you're here and you're curious about the things of the Lord, but you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope what you see this morning is, okay, those people believe that, but what difference does it make in the way they live? And what we're going to talk about this morning will hopefully bring that together for you. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And on the back of your bulletin, there's some notes if that would be helpful for you to, to follow along with. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 54. Very end of that chapter, verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. If you notice on the screen, I've tried to show the contrast that is put into this verse. Perishable. This is the present body, the present things of this world that will decay, will not always be this way. One day, there's going to be an imperishable body, an imperishable world, a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth. Mortality, we come to grips with the things of this world, and we face death, and we face pain, and we face heartache, and we realize that there will be one day when there will be no more pain, no more death, no more crying, no more mourning. And Paul is going to base that on God's plan that's written in Scripture. And here's the verses he goes to when he bases that plan. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. There at the end of verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? What Paul does in those verses is he takes two sets of verses from the Old Testament. That first phrase, death is swallowed up in victory, he takes from Isaiah chapter 25. In the ancient world, the God of death was portrayed almost like a stomach, like a consumer. We talked about this a little bit last week. And so it was as if the God of death swallowed up the deceased. And so what happens is when the people are talking about the one true God and the victory he has over death, it says actually the God of death will be swallowed up. The God of death will no longer be able to consume those who have died but even death itself will be swallowed up and done away with, will be consumed, will be defeated. And then in Hosea chapter 13, Paul uses a phrase that almost comes off like a taunt, like he's taunting the enemy a little bit. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? What do you have to offer now that death and sin have been defeated? What Adam couldn't do in the garden what Moses couldn't do through the law, Jesus did by coming to defeat sin and death. And so death has no power over us any longer. So it goes on in verse 56 and says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have grown up in a church where you sang the song, Victory in Jesus. But that's one of those songs that you could still find the page number in the hymnal. If you were asked to open up and find Victory in Jesus, it would just fall open to hymn number 426, Victory in Jesus. 
In fact, I think that's actually the right number in the old uh, Rodman hymnal because I remember it in my mind as a little kid seeing victory in Jesus. This is the message we proclaim. This is our foundation as a church. This is the foundation for our lives. The testimonies that you heard earlier, what you were hearing from Justin as he was sharing his story and the story of his family, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Left to ourselves, we have no power against sin. And even if you don't really believe in the religious categories of sin and evil, stick with me on this, we have no power in and of ourselves against death. Left to ourselves, we have no hope. But thanks be to God that he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's the story that these guys were trying to tell through these testimonies. Thanks be to God that I have victory, not because I have my life together, but thanks be to God that I have victory through Jesus Christ because of what he has done. And so that's the message we proclaim. Here at Emmaus, we talk about how we proclaim and display Jesus. The only message we have that's worth anything is not come and be a part of our church because it's great. The message we have is look to Christ because only in him will you find victory. Only in him will you find hope. So we proclaim that message. But it's not just something we say with our words. It's not just something we believe in our head or our heart. It impacts the way that we live. So we not only proclaim Jesus, but we display Jesus through how we live. Verse 58. Paul talks for 57 verses about the hope of the resurrection. And then he gets to verse 58, and he says... Therefore, it's cheesy every time a preacher says it, but we just have to keep saying it over and over again. When you see the word therefore in your Bible, you always ask what it's there for. It points to something. Everything else that was building up was all this foundation. Therefore, because of the hope of the resurrection, therefore, as a result, so what? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Okay, we're going to finish that verse here in just a second. But he gives two qualities. Therefore, if you believe the resurrection, if what I said about victory in Jesus, you say, yes, on my own, no hope, I put my faith in Jesus, I've experienced that salvation. Therefore, as a result of that, my life should be steadfast, immovable. Those two words are found together also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, not shifting there is the same as immovable in 1 Corinthians, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. In other words, if you believe in the victory of Jesus, stand there. <laughs> There's nowhere else to go. That is your foundation. Be steadfast, be immovable. Now, Sometimes when you think about church life, and sometimes maybe if you think about deacon ministry, we can be pretty immovable and steadfast, but sometimes it's about things that aren't the gospel. Uh, we hear immovable and steadfast, and we say, oh yeah, we've got that. I'm stuck in the mud. I'm not going anywhere. This is who I am. This is where I'm going to be. This is how we're going to do things. We are steadfast and immovable. This, what Paul is talking about is the gospel that you are steadfast and immovable in the hope of the gospel. This is where I've planted my feet. I'm not spending my life looking for all the answers, running around trying to find something better, because there is nothing better. 
This is my foundation. This is where I'm going to stand. The word I would want you to take away here is the word faithful. The word faithful. I couldn't help it, and I alliterated these two points on your bulletin, but we're going to talk about being faithful and fruitful. Sorry about that. But uh, faithful here is the idea of if I believe in the resurrection, I'm going to be steadfast and movable. I'm going to be focused on the cross, steadfast in the hope of the gospel, living a faithful life to Christ. But then at the end of the verse, it says, always abounding. This is the end of verse 58, so you want to be steadfast and movable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now the word abounding there in your Bible is the word for increasing, expanding, excelling. Which, don't miss how ironic it is that these two words are used next to each other. Paul says, be steadfast, immovable. Stay right there. Hey, and while you're at it, keep on excelling. Keep on abounding. Keep on doing anything. It's like the, if you have a kid who's kind of a milia bedelia and they're, they take things overly literal, and you say, stay right there. And they just stay right there. You're like, oh, well, hey, the one time you actually listened to me, you stayed right there. I didn't literally mean glue your feet to the ground. I just meant kind of stay put in that general area. Paul is saying be steadfast, immovable, set your feet in the gospel, don't go anywhere else. But if you do that, your life is going to be abounding. Your life is going to be increasing. Your life is going to be, because I needed another word that started with F, fruitful. You're going to be faithful to the gospel, and you're going to be fruitful in how you live. And the reason it's kind of funny that those, funny, that starts with F as well. Uh, The reason it's kind of funny that, that those words go together, faithful and fruitful, the reason those words go together is because generally we live at one of two extremes. The pendulum goes back and forth. You say, hey, look at us. We are a faithful church. We are being faithful to the word, faithful to the gospel. And sometimes faithful becomes a code word for not reaching anybody or or not doing anything. Look at us. We're faithful. We're right here. Yeah, but there's no fruit. There's There's no signs of the work of the God. Over here, a church says, hey, look at us. We're abounding. We're increasing. We have people coming faster than we know what to do with it. Look how fruitful we are. Yeah, but you're not preaching the gospel. You're not, you're not being faithful to the things of the word. And so, so you end up going back and forth. This church is so faithful, but they haven't reached anybody in forever. And look at this church. They're so fruitful, but it has nothing to do with the things of the gospel. And Paul says, if you believe in the resurrection, you're going to be faithful to the gospel, and you're going to be fruitful in how you live, and we want to hold those two things together. How do we understand fruitful, though? There's two key, key phrases there. First abounding in the work of the Lord. If we're not careful in church work, we become busy doing a whole bunch of things that aren't particularly important. And Paul says if you're going to abound, if you're going to increase, make sure it's in the work of the Lord. When you see the phrase work of the Lord, do not think about what a church staff does Monday through Saturday. Work of the Lord, let me put it this way. Work of the Lord is not church work, it's kingdom work. 
Okay, so we, we hear work of the Lord and we say, oh, hey, I would love to do that, but I've got a job. I've got things that, no, no, don't, don't see church work there. See kingdom work. What I'm doing and how I'm doing it would not be the same were it not for Christ. You look at your job. You look at your family. You look where you live. And you say, I'm doing the work of the Lord in my neighborhood. I'm doing the work of the Lord at my school. I'm doing the work of the Lord at my job because what I'm doing and how I'm doing it would not be the same were it not for my faith in Christ. My belief in the resurrection impacts how I do this work. Therefore, it's the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Here's where we do have to be careful with the fruitful discussion. A lot of fruit that comes from kingdom work is not immediately visible. A lot of fruit that comes from kingdom work we may not even see in this life. So we have to be careful how we judge fruitfulness and faithfulness, but realizing we're faithful to the gospel, we will abound in that. We will increase. We will excel. I want us to be a church that's faithful to the gospel, and I want us to be a church that's fruitful. I want to see people come to faith in Christ, and so we hold those two things together. Now, what does that have to do with deacon ministry at Emmaus and the few minutes we have left? I want to show you a slide up here that kind of encompasses the way we think about church life. At Emmaus, we say we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. Proclaim is that message we speak about of the gospel. Display is how we live our lives, faithful and fruitful. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 is our foundation of that, that we proclaim Christ as Lord, not, not ourselves as Lord. We're just his servants for Jesus' sake. And so we have that. Everyone who's a part of Emmaus is speaking about and living for Jesus. That's why we exist. Pastors are servant leaders in the church, focused on proclaiming. Now, if I see something needs to be done, by all means, I better do it. I'm not above picking up trash. I'm not above cleaning the toilet. I'm not above doing anything. I'm going to do all those things as a servant leader, but my main focus is on that proclaim piece. Deacons are leading servants focused on display. Sometimes people say, I want to be a deacon. That way I don't have to speak to anybody about the gospel. Eh, not right. When you look at your New Testament, the early deacons were the ones who went out speaking about the gospel. Now their focus is on the display piece, like we're going to see here in just a second. They're focused on those actions, making sure we're visible in the things of the Lord, but still speaking about the things. So everyone proclaims and displays, but pastors are those servant leaders focusing on proclaim. Deacons are the leading servants, and they focus on display. Where do you get this? Acts chapter 6. We have about 10 minutes left here, and I want us to spend that 10 minutes looking at Acts chapter 6. If you're not familiar with where Acts would be in your Bible, if you found 1 Corinthians and you're in your phone, you would scroll up a little bit. Um, if you're in your Bible, you're going to turn back just two books, and you're going to find Acts chapter 6. Now, when we talk about deacon ministry in the New Testament, there are really two go-to passages. There's Acts 6, which, with good reason, isn't directly speaking about deacons. Think of Acts 6 as kind of the, the precursor to deacon ministry. It's the step just before it starts to appear. It's, it's that foundation. 1 Timothy chapter 3 
is often where we go to see the foundation for deacon ministry in the New Testament. We're going to look at Acts 6 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, though, is another important place to look. I want you to look there in verse 1 of Acts 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You skip down to verse 3, what do they do about this? Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this need, to this duty that needed to be fulfilled. So the foundation here is there were certain widows who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food or the daily distribution of funds. They were being overlooked because they were not of the Hebrews. They were not Jews. They were Hellenists. They were Greeks. So they were being overlooked. So the people said, we need somebody to take care of this. This is a big deal that these people are being overlooked. They're on the outskirts of society. Everybody else overlooks them. And not only that, but they're not Jews like the rest of us. They're Greeks, and so they're going to be overlooked. There's going to be this divide that happens in the church. What do you do? Well, you find some people who can go and meet that need. The clearest way I know to describe deacon ministry to you, and this works well for kids all the way up to older uh, adults, deacons take care of the three tables of the church. The table of the widow, the table of the pastor, and the table of the Lord. Deacons serve the tables. They, they watch over the three tables of the church. And the first is they watch over the table of the widow or the poor or the overlooked. Those who have a need and they can't meet that on their own or they don't have someone else in place to be able to meet that need, they step in. Deacons step in and say, we're going to meet that need. As Gary prayed earlier up here, saying, we need to give our primary attention to care of widows. That is 100% accurate. That deacon's primary goal, sometimes deacons get in trouble because they sit around trying to come up with things to do. They don't feel busy enough. And we're going to talk about why that becomes a problem, how that happens. It's not super complicated. The table of the widow, the poor, the overlooked, that is the primary role of a deacon in the church. Because if somebody was not a Christian, and they looked in on the church, and that church is not taking care of their widows, not taking care of the single mom, not taking care of the person who can't care for themselves. Who cares what your message is if you're not even taking care of your own people and you're allowing these divisions to be created in the church? And so deacons say, well, we'll step in and take that. Look, look down in verse 2. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So down in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Another thing that deacons do is they watch out for the table of the pastors to make sure the pastors aren't giving themselves to things that would take away from their devotion to prayer and the word. This is something I have to be really careful about. I'm not doing you or the kingdom any service if I'm running around doing things that take me away from praying for the church and making sure that we're right in the middle of God's word. And so there are deacons who say, wait, whoa, whoa, you don't need to do that, pastor. That's why we're here. We will take that off your table. We will watch your table to make sure. Now, pastors can take advantage of that. 
Absolutely, that can happen. But there are people that are watching and saying, you do not need to do that because our church needs you to pray. Our church needs you to make sure that you're giving us the word of God. And so we're going to watch out for that. You go down to verse 5. Actually, um, yeah, let's go back to verse 3 just for a second about deacons setting a, a godly example. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you in verse 3 men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You can see a further picture of this, like I said in 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The point I want to make is that the role of deacons is to have a good character in the church and a good reputation in the community. You say, well, okay, fill that out for a little bit. Remember, who are deacons taking care of? The widows, the single moms. What are they doing? They're, they're making sure the funds are distributed. Can you trust that man with your aging mom? Can you trust that man with your wife? And can you trust that man with your checkbook? Yeah, okay, I can. Therefore, that's somebody that I can turn to and say, hey, you can go check on my mom, and you can take care of this money, and I don't have to worry. I know it's going to be okay. That's the type of picture that's being painted in Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3 is I can trust that man with my mom or my wife and I can trust that man with the checkbook and it's all going to be okay. We don't have to worry about that. Going down to verse 5. What they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose men, um, uh, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte, of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Something real quick about this, and, and the key phrase that I underlined was, please the whole gathering. Let me tell you something I kind of run into on deacon ministry, and a question that's asked quite often. When you have deacons, and they're leading servants, doesn't that take away opportunities for other people in the church to serve? Or, or let me flip the question around another way. It doesn't really matter who's set apart as deacons. I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm a deacon or not. I'm going to serve no matter what. Now, at the foundation, that is exactly the right attitude. There is, there's nothing wrong with that attitude. But Scripture has obviously set aside this role, this office of, of deacon, because if deacons are doing their work well, it should expand the number of people in church who are serving, not restrict Deacons are a funnel, not a bottleneck. If deacons are doing their work well, more people get involved, not less. So when you think about deacon ministry, think about it this way. Not, that person took away my opportunity to serve, but that person gave me an opportunity to serve. You see a deacon at work when you see a team being formed. Deacons are not solo people plugging holes off to the side. Deacons are people who are serving in such a way that they say, hey, come and do this with me. We have a team. We want you to get involved. This is such a misunderstanding because I, I, even there's almost a competition at times in certain churches. Oh, man, the deacons are doing this, and we're over here doing this. If we ever get in that place, we're in a bad spot. Deacons propel service. They don't restrict it. They're a funnel, not a bottleneck. They get the whole congregation involved in what's happening. For what effect? Verse 7. This is where it gets really fun where we're going to land the plane. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. When you see increase, multiplied, great many, I hope you connect back to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, the word abounding or increasing there. Faithfulness and fruitfulness. Acts chapter 6. Faithfulness of calling those original people to serve the tables led to fruitfulness for the gospel. Deacons in the early church were part of propelling the gospel forward. When there were people in place to serve, it didn't stop the message from being proclaimed. It increased the message being proclaimed. We're not just trying to meet physical needs. We're meeting physical needs in in order to tell the greatest story possible. We meet a need for a widow so we can share the gospel with her son. We meet a need for a single mom so we can share the gospel with her neighbor. It's not meet needs or share the gospel. It's faithful and fruitful. And God calls churches to do that together. What do I hope you find at Emmaus? At Emmaus, I hope you find deacons who are intent on serving said without any sarcasm, may God bless Paul Box, Robin Butler, and Mike Booth for laying a foundation where deacons don't have political notions here at Emmaus. They're here to serve. I don't know what kind of deacon experience you may have had in previous churches or different places. Deacons, they serve. They they don't have decision-making power. They're not trying to make political things happen. They're here to serve, And, and I hope that you would find that here. At Emmaus, I hope you find pastors who are intent on the word and prayer. You can say, you know what, don't always like that person speaking, I don't always like every decision they make, but I know they pray, and I know they're trying to teach God's word. And I'm going to hear about Christ when I show up. I'm going to hear about the things of the Lord. And I hope you find a church that's committed to gospel faithfulness and gospel fruitfulness. That if you're here at Emmaus, you're being challenged to be faithful to the gospel, and you're being challenged to be fruitful. Let's not hide behind faithfulness. We're not trying to hide ourselves here. We're asking God, would you move? Would you move in power? On your notes at the bottom of your bulletin, I put a couple of ways that you could do this. Coming up in two weeks, we have a Discover Emmaus lunch. If you have been visiting with us here at Emmaus, if you're curious about what's going on, we would love for you to come and be a part of that free lunch in two weeks. If you're a member and you know of someone who's interested in being a part of Emmaus, this is your perfect opportunity to bring them to be a part of that. Let us know you're coming. We'll get you connected with it. May the 20th, we go out that Sunday morning to serve our community. We meet here at 830 for worship. 915, we send teams throughout our community to serve and to share the gospel. June the 10th, we have our next new member class. If you say, you know what, I think this is where I need to be. I need to be faithful to the gospel. I need to be fruitful. This is what I want to be a part of. June the 10th is our next new member class. More than anything, though, hear us say this. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. I'm going to pray for us. After I pray for us, we're going to stand up and sing. During that psalm, we'll pass the offering plates. When that song is finished, we'll be dismissed. But if you need someone to talk to, there will be people here at the front who would love nothing more than be able to pray and talk with you. Let me pray over us. We're going to stand and worship the Lord through music and offering.
Father, thank you for such an enjoyable, empowering service this morning. Father, four times in a row through video to hear the gospel message spoken. Thank you for the reminder of how powerful testimonies can be. God, I pray that watching these videos this morning would encourage people sitting here to go out and share their story with someone. Father, thank you for a church like Emmaus. God, I'm so thankful to be a part of this church family. I'm so thankful for your work here. God, thank you for the men and women that you raise up here, the boys and girls who are learning about your word, learning what it looks like to proclaim and display Jesus. Father, we want to be faithful. But we don't want faithful to be a code that we're just hiding out doing our own thing. God, we want our faithfulness to lead to fruitfulness. We want to live lives that are abounding. God, we want to give ourselves so that we see people come to know you. We want to see people's lives transformed. God, make us that type of church. Do that work inside us so that it spills over in how we live. God, we know that you are God of this city. You're God of this church, and you're God of our lives. And so we give ourselves to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.